All righty, guys. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Kyle. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. And today we are joined with a good friend of mine, Boom. How you doing today, Boom? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, of course. So I met Boom through like a finance slash trading discord a couple years ago almost. And since then, we've kind of just, we shared a lot of experiences with various cryptocurrencies and NFTs. And I've learned a lot from him. So today we're just going to talk to him about some of the experiences that he's had so far in crypto and NFTs up to this point, and hopefully learn some stuff from them. Very cool. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so so let's get it started. Um, First off, just like to get an idea of like, let's flash back to like before you even knew about crypto or NFT and like what what steps did you take and like how did you first come across the crypto space and uh, what what made you so attracted to it? Yeah, for sure. So I think myself, like most other people, you know, I remember hearing about Bitcoin back right around when it started popping up. Um, and I never thought nothing of it at the time. I mean, if I did, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. But I think my first real dive into it was probably around 2015, 2016. I think that's right when there was a, a little run up for it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin. A um, little bit of Ethereum, a little bit of Litecoin. And I didn't really know what to do with it at that point. I think it was just more of a speculative investment, if anything. And I think that was the general consensus there. But it started as that um, and kind of held a little bit, you know, took some profits, took some losses with that big dip around, I think it was 2017 or 2018, we had that correction. And uh, yeah, since then, kind of been dabbling. Um, I think I got a lot more uh, invested in different cryptocurrencies um, probably uh, maybe like two years ago or so, I think, with, of course, one of the real speculative ones being Helium um, was one that I kind of went in on pretty heavily as well. Yeah, cool. So like like you mentioned Helium, and obviously this is, uh, I've known you and Helium was a, a crypto that you you got you went in pretty heavily on and it paid off well. So so what is Helium and how did you first come across it? So Helium is basically Helium is a token of the Helium network. What that company aims to do basically is create a decentralized low bandwidth network for IoT devices. So what they've done basically is create the framework for anybody to participate as a maker and create these hotspots um, or miners as they're typically called um, and distributing them to whoever wants to host one in their home, their office, wherever they have access to. And basically what that does is it uses that person or that participant's internet um, to supply a network capacity to this proprietary helium network, which is available to anyone. Um, I, I found it very interesting because at the time it was a very novel idea to rather than just uh, cryptocurrency and the digital currency sense, they're taking it and giving it a little more, uh, I guess, a little more umph to it, kind of giving it real use that a, a normal person can look at it and say, hey, I get it now. Like I can that. That's what I get for doing this. So I, I found that very intriguing um, first off. And yeah, since, since I've 
I started that, the network itself has grown exponentially, which is very interesting. Yeah, cool. Um, so obviously, like, um, having found it so early, and um, it, it really resonated with you, it sounds like, what what led you to take the or develop the conviction to say, I'm, I'm going to go pretty heavy into this, and I'm going to, like, take a chance with this really new thing that might not work out? Well, I think the main thing was um, kind of looking at what framework or groundwork they've built up until that point, um, looking at who else has already invested in it. And helium itself was very, very geographic centric. So depending on your area, it could be very lucrative. And it kind of depended on having a good amount of coverage, but not a saturated amount of coverage. So I think at the time, I remember kind of researching it. And it's funny, I, I originally learned about it um, in a discord that Sam and I shared from another guy that was in there with us forever, Mig, shout out Mig, Mig the man. But uh, he brought it up once and I kind of just, you know, briefly looked at it and I didn't understand it because, you know, you first thought helium, okay, balloons, right? And obviously it's not anything to do with helium to blow up balloons. But I looked at it and I'm in Hawaii. So I looked at the geographic area of where I'm at. At the time, there was about 30,000, just under 30,000 active hotspots worldwide. To give you perspective on that, right now there's almost 800,000. And I believe this was, what, when was it? I think two years ago or so. So it's grown exponentially there. But back in my area, on Oahu, there was, I believe there was a total of 15 hotspots. And I took the time to look at each of those hotspots um, as long as they've been up. And they were earning ridiculous amount of helium because of the lack of coverage. They were taking all those shared rewards. Um, the biggest barrier of entry was this hardware at the time, because it was so new, was very hard to come by. Um, they're typically for one hotspot, they're like 500 bucks at the time in order to get one, it was like, you couldn't get one for like seven or eight months. And if you were to get one immediately, it'd be off the secondary market, like eBay and the minimum price from was like seven grand or something. So I kind of took that into consideration. I looked at what these hotspots were, were doing currently over a span of a week, a month, three months. And what I found was that the price of the secondary market for the hotspot was almost in equilibrium with a two to three month return on investment for my specific area. And at that point, I just kind of took a calculated risk um, based on what I knew the area I was in and especially using eBay to buy a $7,000 piece of technology and uh, I kind of pulled the trigger from there and yeah since then it was I've got like I think a fleet of 12 of them now or something like that but that first one was was intense yeah that's awesome um so I was I wanted to let's dive a little bit into like deeper like what the helium miners like do exactly I know there's a lot of people that like that jumped into bitcoin mining and it's uh -huh. basically like you have like a whole warehouse and there's a bunch of miners and they're all competing to calculate this formula but then I know I'm not too um, well versed on helium, but can you explain for me and, and the viewers, like 
why why helium miners? You just need one helium miner in one area and compared to Bitcoin. And why did you choose helium um, over Bitcoin? Oh yeah, for sure. So I think the term miner is, is kind of a, it's not probably the best term to use for a helium miner because in the in the act of like Bitcoin mining or Ethereum mining, your that miner is basically just a computer running very difficult mathematical um, problems, solving them and being rewarded by moving the blockchain forward. Um, for helium, at the time, a helium miner or a hotspot served two purposes. One, it validated the network basically by your, your hotspot is, earns rewards by witnessing other hotspots in the area. It operates on radio frequency. So it doesn't, in the sense, mine as much as it does provides coverage and you're rewarded for the coverage you provide to this network. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's a great way to explain. So kind of having your hotspot, you're, you've hooked it up to your own internet. You're providing a small percentage of your own internet to this network distributing it for anyone to be able to utilize that proprietary helium network you're rewarded by the hotspot down the road says hey i see boom's hotspot he's providing this amount of coverage i'm going to validate that he's there doing that from that point he earns that hotspot down the way earns a very small amount of helium as well as i earn a small amount of helium from an event called witnessing. So he witnesses that I'm providing coverage. So in a peer-to-peer -peer sense, it's, it's heavily dependent on an area that has other hotspots in that area um, because there's two main ways to earn, witnessing and also providing that coverage when someone uses the network. Um, that second one is kind of coming to fruition now as the network is built out. Just by having that hotspot, when someone uses it, like one example is um, if you're familiar with like those uh, smart like lime scooters that they have in a lot of metropolitan areas, um, some manufacturers of those now use the helium network to more cheaply track and maintain their fleet of scooters um, rather than having to implement a 3G, 4G, 5G cellular SIM card on each of their devices, they can rely on the helium network, which is a lot more affordable. And that's kind of the incentive. And I think that's the main goal is creating that network for devices that don't quite need as much, you know, bandwidth as a cell phone or smartphone or computer, and basically just providing coverage for low bandwidth devices. Um, so in a sense of mining, you're earning in two different ways, not so much in the sense of Bitcoin mining, but in the sense of providing coverage to this network, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's very clear. That's that's awesome statistic. We have Lime scooters at our school at NC State, so that's awesome that that you're you knew about that. That's you're super intelligent for thinking of that. Um, yeah, I had no idea. That's actually really cool. Yeah, I don't know if Lime specifically is the company that uses, it, but a company like them does utilize that. Yeah, I think there's a yeah, couple companies. There's around. so many now. Oh, um, cool. Cool. But yeah, um, I also wanted to dive into like the culture. So like, there's a lot of like, we'll get, we're going to get into NFTs, but there's also a lot of like understanding of like who, who's behind like a project and like what the community is that supports th this project. And obviously you, you liked helium as from like a hardware standpoint, did you like, was there any like red flags that you saw in helium? And like, did anything like, did anything change your mind about helium? Like what, what was your thought process between like choosing um, the community? of helium um well 
I think it was because it was in its infancy. It was still a, a, a pretty big risk because, you know, it was an emerging technology that hasn't been done before. But at the time, I weighed that risk reward and, and found it to be a worthy risk. Um, some of the reservations I had with the network was the security of it. And also, you know, if that, that witness relation, witness beaconing relationship between hotspots, which earns you that actual helium, um, can be compromised and how someone might take advantage of it to compromise the network, earn rewards without providing the coverage that they say they are. Um, so I guess that was one of the main concerns that I, I originally remember looking at. And besides that, there was people that invested in it and have been mining and doing that for a lot longer than I have. And, you know, from my experience with like, you know, I guess shitcoin crypt cryptocurrencies where, you know, you'd experience these pump and dumps. That was a concern of mine that if there was too much, if there wasn't enough uh, of the helium token spread out among many users, is that a potential thing to worry about as well? Um, but I think the team itself behind Helium, the developers have done a good job of trying to address those issues constantly throughout these past two or so years that I've been involved. And uh, I think they're building, they're building it right. And I, I still really think it's an awesome project. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear that like you obviously have a really good understanding of it. And I, I remember when you had first started, obviously you, you, uh, you said it was a big risk because it was, it was so young. And I remember um, you had like purchased a miner, but you weren't immediately going all in. And as uh, they began to become more successful and they were proving their, their method and that it was working, you began like upgrading your miner and purchasing additional miners for like different places. So, I mean, that was something I really respected that it seemed like even though you were taking a big risk, you were being really smart about it. Yeah. And for me, it was, you know, it was a matter of taking that ROI, looking at my investment, you know, being safe about it, taking money off the table, but also, you know, on a high conviction or pretty high conviction play like that, I think it was important to reinvest what I felt was safe into it and grow it further. And I think it's paid off. Like helium itself uh, as a value is down a little bit, but I think in the long run, you know, it, it's an excellent project and a, I, I'm really happy with what they've been up to so far. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I just have one more question actually um, about miners and then we're going to dive into NFTs after this. Um, but for people that are like just, just getting into mining, do you think like the, the market's oversaturated? Because obviously, I mean, Bitcoin, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And like this whole crypto space, it just seems like it's going to keep growing. Do you think it's like too late to get into the mining field, whether it be any type of protocol or what are your thoughts on like um, the sector continuing to grow has it, that it has in the past? It's hard to say. Um, I think the hotspots themselves are a lot more affordable now. I think the entry point is like $400 or something like that, $400, $450. So from an investment standpoint, it's not a bad, uh, I guess, thing to consider. There is quite a bit of saturation depending on your area. But what I would recommend is, you know, hopping on the Helium Explorer, taking a look at your geographic location and seeing what other miners are in the area I don't think you'll you'll find like a return on investment in two, three, four months, but 
it's a fun project to kind of get into, you know, especially for like, I've onboarded a friend who wasn't aware of any type of cryptocurrency and helium really stuck out to him because it was more of a tangible investment where he had this device, this device was producing this token for him with the easy to use app that he could track. So I, from that standpoint, I think it's an excellent thing to look at. Um, as far as like looking at something to pay off in like two, three months, it's, it, it's well past that point. It's matured past that, which I think is good and important. But I definitely think it's something for people entering the space or, you know, new to the space to continue or to look into. Yeah, I mean, what you said about um, how it's tangible and that's why someone who's new to the space is, is like more willing to, to dive into that. That I mean, that, that really makes sense. But um, pivoting more towards NFTs, because obviously I, I knew you and uh, I remember you getting into Helium and then there were like the shitcoin days. But then more recently, um, NFTs exploded and you were just on top of that too. So when did you first come across NFTs and what made you realize that, hey, this is the next new thing that I need to be diverting like time and capital towards? For sure. NFTs is it's kind of one of those bittersweet things for me that, you know, more recently I, I found some good success in it and I'm very aware of it, but um, I was actually, it was on my radar last year, like maybe last March, I think. And it was actually my wife who, you know, she's, she's not quite as well versed as me, but she's constantly looking at, you know, what's new. She totally supported us spending eight grand on a helium miner. And she, I remember hearing about NFTs and I thought it was just like the most ridiculous thing. And at that time, if you're familiar with a gentleman named Bobby Hundreds of the Hundreds um, Streetwear Clothing brand, he was a very early supporter of NFTs and he really was trying to get the word out about them. And she, she showed me an article about it. And, you know, it took me such a long time to wrap my head around uh, what it was and, um, like what, like what is the, the purpose of it? So it, it took me a little while. I would say I really started paying attention and investing in it probably, uh, I want to say like October, September, October is of last year, 2021 is when I really, you know, took the dive in and felt like I had a good understanding of it at that point. What were, I'm just, just curious, what were like some of the first NFTs you bought and are you still holding them today? Or like, are there any ones that you've bought and you haven't sold and you're planning on holding forever? Or, or was it more like just trading? Um, well, <laughs> that's a funny story. So like the first, like, I remember buying a couple cheap ones, but like the first high conviction one that I bought and we were, me and my wife were completely green on this. And we saw this one called Eight Kids Club back in like, I don't know, October, September, something like that. And it launched. And, you know, at the time I wasn't complete, I wasn't aware of the whitelist, you know, when you should enter the typical like formal pump and all of that. Um, and we ended up buying like literally at the top, like it was like 1.5 ETH. And that was a, that was a big amount. And I was like, you know what, let's do it. it it's a, it's a eight, it's like a board eight, but like a kid. And I remember us having that dialogue and looking back and it's so ridiculous, but that thing is tanked. It's like 0.01 now. It's in my hidden folder on OpenSea at this moment. So, you know, it's not all success. I think from that, we learned a lot. Um, 
and that reflects in the things that we purchase. But the first, like that definitely stands out. It might not be the very first one I bought, but that's the first one that really I felt, you know? Yeah, no, I can definitely, I definitely have some stuff in my hidden folder that, that is not even sellable as well. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's applicable to like all kinds of stuff. Like you're, when you first get into a space, normally the first few things you dive into are probably not going to turn out too well because you're still learning. Um, but obviously, uh, you, when you first got into NFTs, you were just, you were just looking at other projects, um, still learning. At what point did you si decide that you wanted to create your own project? You know, I, for a few months, I was really content with going through the process to join these different projects that I, that I felt, uh, would be a good investment, whether short or long-term. And I kind of watched the space and the people that were creating these projects and the way they would handle themselves in Twitter spaces and their discords, things like that. And I, what I found was that, you know, they were, it wasn't anything that I couldn't do. I would, I would go into these spaces and I'm a little older, I'm 34 years old. Like I'd, I'd remember going to these spaces with my wife and be like, what the fuck? This sounds like some pretend business meeting. And it sounds horrible. And, and people were eating it up at the time. And I was like, this is ridiculous. We could probably do this. And that was kind of the, 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 the catalyst for it from there, seeing that, you know, it really is something that anyone that has a conviction to do can do. And I think uh, that was the interesting part of it began researching my wife and her sister are the one who kind of came up with the project idea itself and I kind of being the one that was in the nft space the longest kind of helped move it along as far as how we should develop it but yeah I mean I can't I, I mean it worked out you know we we did launch a project that was successful that sold out and um we just we we're, we're going from there yeah and that, I mean, that's obviously like, it's really impressive how so, so quickly after entering the space, you, you made that decision to, um, and like you recognized, Hey, this is something I can do. And, and you just went and tackled it. But what would you say was like, what would you say was some of the hardest parts about launching your own project and what was sort of easier than you expected? Um, I think the hardest part was for me was the Sorry, my internet was acting up there. I think the hardest part for me was the, the marketing aspect of it. Um, for me, myself personally, and the rest of the, my, my wife and her sister who did the project, we don't have a social, we don't have a social influence. We don't have, um, we didn't even have like real Twitter accounts and stuff, which a lot of that NFT marketing is focused on Twitter, Discord. Um, but we didn't have any kind of footing as far as follower accounts, things like that. So we literally started from zero. We made that loan girl account and kind of just built from there. And that was definitely the hardest part is trying to find people that wanted to buy into what we were building. Awesome. Um, can you, can you like touch, like say if, say if um, I can relate to you or there's people out there that are rather launching their NFT project or something else how how does someone like get started if they don't have an influence like what were some of the steps you took did you reach out to like other like influences themselves and offer like incentives for them to um uh advertise your product or like what were some what's some advice you would give to someone that had the same problem as you i mean yeah we definitely tried and it was funny because 
like not even like big influencers, like just other projects in the space that are, you know, weren't really big projects. We reach out to them and no one would, no one res- would respond. It was, it was super fucking irritating, honestly, because, you know, we weren't asking for much. We were just asking for, you know, a retweet or something. And then it was funny because after that, once we launched and blew up, they would reach out to us. And it was kind of funny at that point. But I think uh, for us, we tried everything. We tried like Twitter influencers. Like you get, we get like three messages per day about someone trying to promote the project. And it's all just like botted accounts and botted retweets. And we really went through the trial and error. And if you look through the timeline of our project, <laughs> there's like tweets of like, has like my wife would tweet like anybody use a paid promoter does it work seems like bullshit and like stuff like that so you know it's a very organic experience which i'm very proud of because you know if you've been in the nft space for any amount of time a lot of times these projects will show up overnight hundred thousand followers and you'll be like what the hell where did this come from you know so i like that we had that organic approach that trial and error um it made it feel a lot more real, real, which I think our community in that bought into our project can really identify with and appreciate. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I can't imagine like trying to trying to influence a bunch of people that don't even know you, and you literally just launched a random project, and then they have no idea who you are, and they're just like you're trying to convince people to buy them. It has to be had to be a big accomplishment for you. Did you like come like Was there anything that was easy about this process? Like I I know um, the art is really hard to do. Was there anything that like came along that was like Oh, I was expecting this to be super difficult. And then it was like so much of a breeze or, or did you come across that at all? I don't think anything was really easy. Honestly, the art, like making the art wasn't the hardest was, was hard, but I want to say the art itself was the easiest thing for us because in my opinion, this is just my opinion, us being a, we are a woman led like women pfp project like the 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 nft itself is of a woman you know and even now i look at like all the other equivalent projects that are thousand times more expensive than ours like i i don't like any of the art like none of it looks good so when our artists my sister-in-law put started putting out the prototypes i was like oh shit looks good like people are gonna like that and that proved to be a strong point for us where a lot of nfts they show roadmaps and you know, utility for us, it was like some, some good art at an affordable price. So it wasn't easy, but like, I think that was something that made, made the process easier for us. That was the part that kind of we could lean on, which was really nice. Yeah. And I, and I think that really set you guys apart uh, or two of the things that did set you apart was, was one, you didn't have like that stereotypical roadmap of like, we're going to launch this profile picture and then we're going to make a game. We're going to drop some merch, stuff like that. It was like, um, this is like a real, a real world use case to benefit like woman empowerment. And not only that, but the mint price was so low um, that, that it was really enticing to some people. And I think people really saw like, not only do I, I believe in this project and think it's like a good idea. I, I it didn't actually price anyone out really. So that, that was obviously like really respectable. But um, throughout the whole process of like launching your NFT project, would you say there's anything that you really learned or that from launching and growing it um, that, that you learned from that process? Um, I think from the process, I definitely learned that at the end of the day, 
building something like that, putting that time and effort, you have to trust your own intuition as to why you're building it and what you're doing. But what I found was, even though we've made it explicitly clear that, you know, this is, you throw three bucks at this project, you get some sweet art, join a nice community. When it blew up, we still had speculative investors that came in and it was a constant barrage of when's the roadmap coming? What's the utility? And like, it was, it was really, so we're not like, not depressing, but just kind of a drag to like be constantly, you know, hearing people ask these questions when we've made it abundantly clear about what we're doing. And I think in the initial rush, it was difficult to deal with that because I was, I just wanted to like, like say, fuck you guys. Like, I'm just going to ban you from the Discord. I want to hear your shit, you know? So I think like that was a process to, you know, mentally have the, the, I guess the thick skin to deal with that. And that's something that I never really anticipated being an issue. And I think the three of us really had to work on dealing with that. And, but that, that, that was something that was a little difficult. And I think we've, you know, figured out how to handle it fairly well at this point. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys were able to learn so much just from like doing everything online. Like a lot of people talk about like how it's, you don't get the same effect from like doing NFTs and stuff online, but you guys really, you, you, you can learn so much by like creating this whole project and talking out to a bunch of other people. Um, but I just, I, we just had a question, like, um, obviously you've done a lot with like trading NFTs. Um, I'm pretty sure you've gotten into like shit coins and stuff. Do you have any story that like stands out? That's just like, Oh, you, you bought in this project and it like skied like in two hours or, or you missed this project. And, and like, do you have any story that stands out? That's like, like really resonates with you. Oh, tons, man. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I think when like back, like, 2017 or 2018-ish, I tried to get into like options and calls and stuff. And I didn't know shit about them. And I just decided to like buy, I, I remember I bought like a Netflix call that was like two grand. No, no reason other than I like Netflix. And, you know, <laughs> I saw on Wall Street bets, it probably can go up. Oh, that shit didn't even go up. It just straight tanked every day. And I didn't, I didn't even understand the process of it. So that was something that, had to be dealt with, which was pretty interesting as well. From, sorry, one second. Um, I mean, that's a really early one. <laughs> Countless uh, shit coins with Sam and the boys, like, man, like you'd buy it and then you find out you can't even sell it, which is ridiculous. And like, it'll pump and then you hold too long. like there's so many but i think the important thing is the having the resilience to go from that point and take what you learn and and build from there you know because th those will come those kind of issues are gonna sh show up and if you can't you know have the conviction to deal with that and then build better from there you know, it, you really, that you got to get to that point first. Like you got to be able to take a loss and, and come back. You know, that's just so important. Like I was even in the GameStop, like you remember GameStop, like what was it last year, the year before last or something? I think it was 2020. Yeah. Like I, I made a decent amount, but I should have made 10, 10 times as much as I did, you know, because, and that one, that one stung a lot. But <laughs> like I said, like you really just have to have the conviction to understand your mistake. And move forward on it yeah i feel like that's a really valuable lesson and uh, like you said back in the shitcoin days 
uh, I can remember like there would be days where we'd go to bed and we'd wake up and the coin we had just bought had like 20x or the complete opposite. You know, the Twitter's deleted, the Discord's deleted. It's unsellable. It was, I mean, it was just crazy. And yep. like, we've definitely come a long way since then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but obviously, like, it seems like every trend that comes along or like a lot of trends that come along, you really, you really dive headfirst into them, understand them, and then um, you, you, you jump in and size accordingly. But, but not so much that it's just super risky. Like you manage your risk well. What would you say? Like, how's a good way to stay ahead of future trends um, for anyone listening? Like, how would they approach new trends in a similar way? I, that's a good question because I think ever since GameStop, my mentality has changed. In, you know being early is such a such a powerful tool and my biggest suggestion is in any social circle that you use online whether it be twitter discord reddit whatever you're on you know pay attention to things especially things that might not feel familiar like when helium came around it didn't feel familiar i didn't understand it and you know in a lot of ways that that can be your your signal to 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 kind of look into it a little deeper because anything that everyone's already aware of you're not going to you're not going to find that kind of you know valuable investment in my opinion like you have to be ahead of it and the only way you can do that is think outside of the box you know instead of dismissing things like the way i dismiss nfts in the beginning last year, like you really have to, to take that time to, to, to do it. And also you have to believe that you have to understand that there's always going to be something new, whether it's in the space you're in right now, like NFTs, there's always some hundred X investment every week. I like, you can literally look at every week for the past, like three, four months, there's something every week, but you know, you have to train your mind to understand and not be like, oh man, I missed it. That sucks. Like you got to just constantly be looking because there's always something new and it doesn't have to be like a stressful thing. It's just like a fun thing. Like just open up your mind to, to whatever crazy ass idea you see that popped up, you know, that's all you can really do. And I I think it's, it will serve you well if you can take that time and do that. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just always keep your head on a swivel. And like, even if you do lose that 2000 bucks on a Netflix call, you can still rebound like you have um, in your personal scenario. Um, I, I wanted to touch, like, just, I wanted to know your opinion just on NFTs, um, the space in general and how you think it's going to mature. Cause obviously right now it's super early. Um, all this whole air, this whole space is really early. Um, you're buying, like you're selling apes for millions of dollars. How do you think NFTs are going to like mature into like, um, the general public and what are some predictions you have? You know, being so deeply invested in the NFT community and web three overall, uh, I'm a big proponent of the values in general of Web3. And for anyone not familiar, like Web3 being this decentralized internet that we try to embrace now versus Web2, where, you know, these uh, small amount of tech companies hold a lot of the information and the power. Web3's big um, appeal is taking away that power, giving it to the people, giving them control of their data. Uh, anything that they own online because you know we spend so much time online that's that's important with that being said i think the nft is uh 
there's a lot to grow still. And I think the, the NFT community and the scene that we see right now is going to be vastly different from the one that we see in six months. The reason I say that is the way that the uh, scene is going now, it's unsustainable with the, the amount of uh, hype and FOMO that's being built into it. And I'm sure within the next six months, we will find new creators, new project founders and leaders in the community that will find a way to really bring it to the masses. Because like, to be honest right now, it's, it's not sustainable where there's three, four, five blue chip projects, as they say, which are worth $100,000. Like that's not inclusive and that needs to change. And this is something I think about quite often. I don't have a solution for it, but whoever can figure out that solution to maintain, you know, that feeling of community in those blue chip projects while making it accessible to many is really going to crack the code for NFTs and take it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's like that's really insightful. And I feel like what you said about how it's going to be vastly different, that's really important because I feel like a lot of people see um, a, like an early space like this and they think, oh, if I just jump in and buy this, then I'm so early that in a year from now, I'll be rich. But obviously being so early, it's it's continuously changing. And just because you're early doesn't mean you can buy whatever and just close your eyes and wake up in a year. But um, I, I feel like, I mean, uh, obviously you've you've taught us or taught us a lot about NFTs and all that, but there's one question that we always ask our viewers um, to kind of wrap up our episode. So what is one goal that you have in your career or personal life and what actions are you taking to achieve that goal? Um, you know, being a little bit older, got a, I got a young daughter, got a wife. My biggest goal is financial independence, um, creating a comfortable life for myself and my family through whatever I endeavor. And also living a life where I don't have to be at a nine to five, even though I do have a nine to five, like I think the goal is to be self-sustainable and really invest in these new things as they come. And I think part of like, you, you said it yourself, like keeping your head on a swivel, being prepared to move on something that you have conviction in, like that is a goal of mine. And I think if you can maintain that in your life, in whatever you do, like being ready for what's next, it will serve you well. It'll help you in, in your personal and um, professional success. You know, and I think that's really important. It's just be ready for what's next. And, you know, don't second guess yourself. Like, you know, once you're familiar with something, don't second guess yourself. Like you'll know it. You, you, you got to be able to be aware of that and have that feeling. Okay. You know what? The, let's do this. You know, I, I trust this is the right thing. And if it doesn't work out, it's all right. You know, that's, I think that's a goal for me is, you know, just always be ready for what's next. Jeez, you really knocked that, that question out of the ballpark, man. That, that was very wise. Um, you you uh -huh. make a good point there. It's like a lot of people always talk about like successful people. They're like, you should never get comfortable. Like whether you're in a career or you're whatever you're doing in life, don't fall into like the, just the narrative of getting comfortable sitting back and watching the world go by. Like you always have to be chase uncomfort and and figure out what's changing and how you you personally can adapt to the world um do you have any like uh books or like recommendations of like documentaries or something that really stand out or like you love to gift to other people are there any anything that comes to your mind 
shoot, you know, not, not really, honestly, like I, there's nothing that stands out to me. I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me is probably just finding just your own, your own confidence. That's, that's the biggest recommendation I get. I wish I had some cool, like I should probably find some cool books to read because it probably would help. And I definitely think that's a great idea, but the only advice I can offer is just find your confidence, find, you know, find a way to, like you said, stay uncomfortable, keep on moving, keep growing. Um, don't get, get discouraged. Um, no matter what might be, what life might be throwing at you, you know? Yeah, that, that's very helpful. Better than any book you can, you can read. Um, but do you have any, uh, just before we, we head out, um, do you want to drop like any handoffs you have, like, um, drop your NFT project. Um, I don't know if, if you have any socials that you want to drop or how, how people can like um, get to your NFT project and support you. Yeah, for sure. On, on Twitter, we're loner girl NFT. Um, it's a 10,000 piece PFP project um, founded by my wife and her sister, um, which I manage uh, affordable entry there. Great little community. Feel free to reach out there um, on our DMS. we also have a discord. Um, which you can find on our link tree on our Twitter. Um, and yeah, if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to me there. I'd be, I'd be happy to help. Um, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I, I feel like you just, you spit a lot of wisdom. Um, you should probably let the, let the viewers sit back, uh, process that. Hopefully, hopefully they learned a thing or two, because I know we definitely did. Um, it was definitely, it was definitely a pleasure to have you. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. That, that was great, man. I appreciate you guys taking the time to um, bring me on here and ask these questions. It, it really means a lot. And, and I hope that, you know, you, the viewers can take something away from it and, and do better in whatever they're working on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We, we definitely enjoyed your time. We'd love to have you back. Um, maybe if you're interested um, down the road, um, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch with you. Absolutely. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.